0: chapter 19. We're not going to start there, but we're actually going to finish there. And I've been, uh, I want to tell you, friends, that I've been looking forward to these six weeks for some time. Ever since God laid it on my heart to teach this series called Kingdom Come, and, and, and the reason is because there is such profound understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is, or the kingdom of God is among believers, that most of us, uh, you know, discount ourselves from experiencing it. And what we're going to learn this morning and in the next five weeks will challenge you, and it has the power to dramatically change your experience of your faith. As I said, most of us misunderstand what Jesus means and the invitation inherent in his preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and we're going to explore that. Beginning this morning, we're going to talk about what it means, and then in the next few weeks about how that is applied in our lives Monday through Friday because the gospel is, a, is really an invitation. And We're going to talk about what that means. You know, many years ago uh, when I worked at Parkland Chevrolet uh, in uh, Parkland, not, not that far from here, um, I met and became friends with a guy that I worked with. His name was Ron, Ron Eli. And as we got to know one another... Uh, Ron began talking about his avocation, his hobby, his passion, which was flying. And uh, he had earned his pilot's license many years ago. He had saved up for years and, and eventually was able to buy his own private little Cessna airplane. and And he loved nothing more than to fly. Basically, he went to work all week so that he could fly on the weekends. And we were, uh, we were talking one day and all of a sudden Ron says, I know. He says, would you and your wife love to come up with me Friday night and we'll fly around Seattle under a starry sky? He said, it's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. He says, you'll have a terrific time. We'll, we'll meet, we'll go to dinner, and then we'll go out to the airport, get in my plane, and I'll fly you around Seattle. Ron and I were like, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, let's do that. And and so Friday came. We went and had dinner, had a good time, went out to the airport to where his plane was. And, and when we walked up to it, I understood what he meant when he said, my little plane, because this thing was tiny. You have no idea how small they are. As we approached it, I thought to myself, I don't think the engine in that thing is bigger than the engine in my motorcycle, you know. Not sure I want to do this, but we were committed. So we got in, took off, and um, it was just dusk. By the time we got up to Seattle, it was black. It was a clear night. The stars were out. The city was magnificent. The lights glowing, reflecting off the water and the bridges and the stadiums and the skyscrapers and Lake Washington. It was amazing. It was like a fairy tale. We're flying around looking at all this and thinking, wow, this is really cool. And and we're just kind of chit-chatting, and Ron's pointing things out. And in the course of our conversation, I mentioned, I said, you know, Rhonda actually has always talked about maybe someday getting her pilot's license. She's always thought that would be really cool to learn how to fly a plane. Ron hears this, and he goes, really? You want to fly now? (laughs) And he turns to Rhonda and he says, you want to fly the plane? I'm like, no, 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 she doesn't want to fly the plane. No, nope, nope, she does not. She doesn't want to do that. Ron's like, no, come on, I'll show you how to do this. Come on, Rhonda, you can fly the plane. And, and over the next few minutes, I watched him teach her and hand the airplane over to her. And then what had already been a pretty magic evening got even cooler. As I watched the look on my wife's face as she got to fly for the first time. You know, we entered that evening not thinking that was going to happen, and then just an offhand comment. The next thing you know, she got to fly an airplane, and I remember just thrilling to her thrill in doing it. It wasn't the way the evening started, but the reason that I share that story with you, friends, this morning is because God wants to do something like that in your life and in mine. He wants you to move from just being a passenger, a spectator, into actually being involved in what's happening. He wants to move you from being a passenger to a participant. Let me explain what I mean, church. You see, the gospel of Jesus is much more than just an invitation to look forward to heaven. It is that, but that's the lesser part of what it is. In fact, it's an invitation to begin experiencing heaven here and now. Jesus made that abundantly clear. To put it another way, Jesus didn't come just to get me to heaven. He came to get heaven into me. And that is true for every one of us. He came preaching something called the kingdom of God. We're going to explore it this morning. And what he meant by that was very specific. He didn't mean to begin waiting for someday to enter a place called heaven. He meant that the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, the leadership of God was entering the world here and now in him and in his gospel, and that we are invited to be a part of it. You know, I was doing some research preparing for this series, and I came across a video that went viral in 2017. You you may be familiar with it if you're into those kinds of things, but what happened was that in the summer of 2017 in Munich, Germany, a huge crowd turned up at a stadium for a concert, and the concert was with probably one of the most popular bands of our time, Coldplay. They play all over the world, huge crowds, have been around for some years now. And in that crowd that day was one young man from Munich who brought a a, a handmade sign that said, hey, I want to come up on stage and play Everglow with you, which is one of their hits. Well, as circumstances would have it, the band saw him with his sign in the crowd, and in the middle of everything, they stopped and said, hey, you really want to come up on stage and play that song? Can you? Can you? This video is about a minute long. Take a look at what happened. This is just a piece of it. This is called Evergo. This is a a German-British union. Let's go, let's keep it together in Europe, all right? They say people go, they say people go This particular diamond was extra special I know you might be gone, the world may not know Still I see a celestial in the video he goes on to play the song but there's two points that really stand out to me the first one is he went there thinking that he was only going to be a spectator he didn't really think they were going to pick him out of the crowd and invite him up and then they did and then did you notice that when he was called on and invited up did you see the way the crowd responded people screaming and yelling "Yeah!" why because deep inside of every one of us is the dream of being more than a spectator Everybody saw themselves going up on stage with it. Wow, wouldn't that be something? And everybody cheered and everybody thrilled. And then they saw something that they thought didn't happen happen in front of them. The the whole video is really fun to watch. Coldplay wasn't sure he could play until he sat down. Then they're like, wow, you know, and here we go. Church, God wants to do something like that with you and with me. That is the gospel of the kingdom. Because we have become a spectator culture, lots of people think of Jesus as somebody we cheer for while we wait for heaven. The gospel itself brings a very different message. The great Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard famously said, Jesus has many fans but only a few followers. What did he mean by that? Only a few who've become more than spectators. Only a few who've heard his invitation to be more than spectators. But church, understand that salvation, this eternal life that Jesus invites us to, is much more than a backstage pass we keep in our pockets until the show is over, hoping to join the band backstage when it's over. No, 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 it is an invitation To come on stage with God and begin to experience the adventure of his redeeming of human beings along with him. Let me show you how explicit and clear this is in God's word. Uh, Right at the beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells tells us about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And here's what it says. It says, after John was put in prison, after John the Baptist was arrested, remember, John was the one who had pointed the crowd to Jesus. John was the forerunner of of Jesus' coming, and he was arrested by Herod and thrown in prison. After he was thrown in prison, the Bible says, Jesus' ministry kicked into high Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, hear this phrase the good news of God and here's how he described that good news, he says the time has come, the kingdom of God is near so repent, change your mind and believe the good news, what good news? the good news that the kingdom of God is near Matthew tells us about that same moment in chapter 4 verse 17 the scripture says from that time on meaning that Jesus began preaching this message then and continued to from that time on Jesus began and continued to preach note that word repent change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is near now what did he mean when he said that In order to understand what he meant, we've got to understand some context. So let me help you learn a little bit here. First of all, the word preach or proclaim, we think that it means telling people what to do. It doesn't. Literally, the word in the original language means to make publicly known, to announce, to proclaim And specifically in this case, it means to make publicly known some really good news. When when I try to illustrate that in my own memory, I think back to when I was a a young single enlisted guy at Camp Pendleton in California living in a barracks. and, And every now and then on a weekday night, somebody would come into the central hallway and shout, Carl's Jr., run! And suddenly, guys were coming from every corner of the barracks with money, right? Because when you're 20, you can eat like nobody's business 24-7 around the clock. And we'd all charge out and, and give him money to go because he was going into town to Carl's Jr. I remember some nights when, when the guy would leave the barracks with like a $500 order for Carl's Jr. It had to be an experience for the crew at the restaurant. But whenever somebody shouted Carl's Jr. run, it was like, good news, Whoa, somebody's going to Carl's Jesus, the Bible says, began bringing good news, specifically that the kingdom of God is near. Now, friends, understand something. In that moment, Jesus was not saying the end of the world is near. That's not what he meant. When he says the kingdom of God is near, he's not saying time is about to end. He knew very well that we were still going to be here 2,000 years later, that God's plan... Was bigger and longer than that. He's not announcing the imminent end of the world. He's proclaiming something very different. He's proclaiming that God's kingdom, God's rule of righteousness and love and grace and goodness, that God's kingdom was drawing near, that it was in fact beginning to invade the world, that God's authority, God's rulership was beginning, God's leadership was beginning to enter the world, kind of like the American Office of Strategic Services did in World War II right before the Normandy landings. You know what they did? They sent a bunch of agents into France who toured around among allies and the resistance, and they said, hey, it's near. It's coming. Here's the code. When you hear this on the radio, another kingdom is coming. Deliverance from Nazi occupation is near. Jesus is saying something just like that. He's saying, hey, I know this world Is a mess, but guess what? The good news is the kingdom of God is near. The time has come. I am here, and in me, the leadership and authority of the world, or the leadership and authority of God, is entering the world. And you are invited to enter into my leadership and authority. When the scripture speaks of the kingdom of God, it is speaking of God entering the world in us. Kind of like cold play inviting that young man up on the stage saying hey come and be a part of this join with us and and Jesus describes the experience of being led in, in the next few verses in Matthew's gospel the Bible tells us that shortly after this moment he saw Peter, James and John cleaning their nets doing their day job and he says to them come follow me and I will make you come follow me And I will make you fishers of men. But I want you to hear the first part of the invitation. Come, follow me, and I will make you. Because in the gospel, God is making the same invitation to this very day. Come follow me and I will make you. That guy didn't know he could be part of the band, but he did. In fact, there's a really cool story as I was researching this about another time when when Coldplay saw a little nine-year-old boy in the audience who seemed to be really into what was happening, and they were kind of surprised that a nine-year-old boy was so engaged. And so they, they stopped and they said to him and his parents, hey, does he want to come up on stage and play with the band? Mom and dad are like, he doesn't play anything. That's all right, it's all right. Send him up, we'll bring him up here. And so they brought him up and they handed him a harmonica and they taught him to play one note. (laughs) And they said, all right, now, every time we point at you, you play that note. And if you watch the video, it's really cool because then the band starts a song and they start pointing at him and he plays and pretty soon he's playing with the band, he's nine. Do you think he went home and went, well, that was boring. He went home with Grandma, Mom, Dad, you can't believe what happened. It was awesome. I played with Coldplay. He went and told his friends they didn't believe him, you know. But in the same way, the gospel is an invitation to us to join God in his invading kingdom and to experience it with him, to be part of what he's doing. Come follow me and I will make you. You see, church, when Jesus offers, for example, eternal life, when we hear that offer, we tend to think of duration. But the word translated in English, eternal life, means much more than that. We hear Jesus say in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we hear that, and we think that the focus is on duration, long-lasting life. That's because we don't have an exact English equivalent for the Greek word zoe. But what it really means, first of all, is a contrast bios, just the, the physical life with the life of the Spirit, and it means a quality of life which is so good, so rich, so pure that it can't help but last forever. So the duration is actually secondary. When Jesus speaks of eternal life, he's talking about much more than just length of life. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself explicitly defines eternal life in John chapter 17, verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life isn't duration of bios, it's the intimacy of knowing God for who he is and experiencing him day in, day out. Within his kingdom, eternal life lasts forever only because it is the same quality of life as God has. This is what Jesus' invitation is all about. If I can maybe illustrate this, um, eternal life, don't think of it as a thing apart from God himself. Instead, it is the endless and intimate presence of God as your Savior, Lord, Father, And friend. When I got married 34 years ago, you know, Rhonda didn't give me something which I then put in my pocket, which was marriage. No, instead, when we got married, we entered into a shared life together that continues to this very day. Now, it included, as it turns out, some restrictions on my behavior. Somebody say amen. But it also. gave me baths and stuff like that. But it also gave me rewards beyond the cost. You know, in one sense, from one perspective, my weekends, my Friday nights aren't as free, quote unquote, as they once were. But in another sense, they are infinitely more satisfying and rewarding because now I spend them all with my best friend. Rhonda didn't give me a thing. We entered into a kingdom, so to speak. And this is what Jesus was proclaiming. The good news that we can begin to experience God's leadership right here and right now. And that it continues growing and becomes never-ending. So Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The smallest of seeds, but once you plant it, it grows and becomes the largest tree in the garden. You see, friends, what Jesus was doing was inviting us to cease to think of ourselves as spectators and begin to think of ourselves as part of the story, invited to live the story with him. Now, having God that close to you, living that intimately with you does mean living a different kind of life than other people. Why? Because his presence, his nearness, demands it. Let me be adult with you for just a moment, okay? Step in here into an adult moment. Probably everyone, probably, in this room has at one time or another committed sexual sin in some form. But I'm going to bet that not one of us committed it in front of our grandmother, Or our mom or dad. Or our best friend. Why? Because their presence in that moment would have changed that moment. That is what Jesus is preaching. The intimate involvement of God in our lives which changes our lives. We think of ourselves as powerless over sexual sin. But all you got to do is put the right person in our presence. And suddenly we're powerful over it. Jesus said, hey, that's what I'm preaching. The kingdom of God that will set you free from the worst part of who you are. Entering the kingdom of God means having him nearby always. In his kingdom, you trade lesser things for much better things. In his kingdom, you trade the so-called freedom to sin for the unbelievable freedom of holiness and purity. You trade... The freedom of self-will for the joy of serving and the liberty of being a child at heart and the power of being afraid of nothing. These things don't happen when we go to a place. They happen when we enter a kingdom, when we receive Jesus' leadership in our lives. See, that's the good news that he was proclaiming. That's the nature of eternal life, first and foremost, I remember when I was first learning how to play basketball and, and I didn't know a lot of the tricks of the trade and, and, you know, I was charging around super athletic, doing stuff that was not working and, and so finally this, this one guy on my team who was an old salt, he came over to me and he said something I'll never forget. He said, Greg, when you charge in there, I could jump up and grab the rim. He says, when you charge in there, you have to understand that the layup, if you go way high off the glass, it makes the hoop bigger when it comes back down you're always trying to get right there as close as you can to the edge of it. No, get up there and loft it up off the glass. And the next time down I did it, wow, this is awesome. This is better than my way. In the same way, Jesus says, God wants to come show you the better way in your life. That's what the kingdom of God is, entering his leadership. Now, we've only got a few more minutes together and I said we're going to explore this in detail uh, practically in the coming weeks but, but grasp the gist that we're talking about right now these things don't happen when you go to a place they don't happen because you have a backstage pass and someday you go backstage and everything's different no they begin right here and now and then they extend backstage they happen when you receive a kingdom when you receive God's invitation to become part of what's happening When I went into the military right after high school, I lost my independence. (laughs) I lost the ability to wear what I wanted, to cut my hair the way I wanted to talk, when I wanted to sit, when I wanted to stand, when I wanted to eat, what I wanted, I lost all that for a season. But I also, over those next seven years, gained something of incredible value that I treasure to this very day. I learned that I could do things I never thought I could, really hard stuff. Stuff I would have never said, Greg, can do that. I learned I could, and I treasure that to this day. The kingdom works the same way. It will demand things of you, and what it gives back will be infinitely more precious and valuable. And that's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was preaching. When we think of eternal life as a backstage pass, we're always wondering why God won't let more people in. But the answer to that question is, heaven isn't a place of joy unless it's already entered you. Think of it this way. A non-smoking restaurant is a pretty cool thing. You probably look for one when you go on a road trip. Unless you're a nicotine addict who's also hungry, then the restaurant is filled with misery. The kingdom of God is a thing that enters me now and then extends into eternity and that's the good news that Jesus brought that Jesus was preaching I love the way C.S. Lewis expressed this idea he said the gates of or the doors of hell are indeed locked eternally but they're locked from the inside they're locked by those who refuse to enter the kingdom of God Church, understand this thing Jesus preached of, the kingdom of God happens when you are more sure of God's love and grace than of your own failures, so much so that you want him near always, and you learn that when you stop being a spectator and you get on stage with him. You start into the adventure with him. That's how and when you learn that. We've got to stop thinking like spectators. Hey, I got my pass. I'm waiting for the show to go over so I can go backstage. Jeez, that's not the gospel. The gospel is much deeper and much richer. Uh, listen to the Lord's Prayer again. We're almost done. We, we prayed it a few minutes ago, but a lot of times we pray it and don't even hear it. Listen to what Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, I love this. It means reminds me every time I have a dad, I'm part of a family. Who is in heaven, I have a home a place I belong eternally. Hallowed be your name. You deserve my love and respect, Father. Then hear this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a beam me up Scotty prayer, get me out of here. It's a, oh God, beam your kingdom down through me into this world. Your kingdom come in me, your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. Invade this world, God, through me. That's what the prayer is. That's what we're asking for. And he goes on to to finish the rest of the prayer from that, that center of gravity. An invitation to the kingdom to enter us, not us to someday go to the kingdom, although that is part of the story. But the greater part is heaven entering now couple of stories and we're done. On, on Saturday, November 5th of 2011, University of Tennessee freshman Derek Broaddus was lying on his couch in his dorm room waiting for the Tennessee football game to come on TV a little over an hour from then. That's when his cell phone rang. He answered it to find a member of the Tennessee football team coaching staff telling him that a police escort was on the way to his dorm to pick him up. They needed him to kick in the game that day. Now, there's a little bit of backstory here. As a freshman, he had tried to walk on with the football team with a lot of other people. He got out there with scholarship and recruited athletes and was fairly soon cut from the team and better players were promoted. Two players were picked to be kicker. He was cut early in the process, but... As Providence would have it, during that week, the, the starter had uh, uh, injured himself, and then that very morning during warm-ups for the game to happen that day, his backup pulled a muscle and was no longer able to kick. The, coach, the coaching staff scrambled and found that the only person still on campus who could kick was Derek, and they sent cars to get him. In a little over an hour, he went from lying on the couch to standing on the field with his hand up in a uniform in front of 70,000 screaming fans to offer the opening kickoff of the Tennessee football game. Over the next couple of hours, he kicked off five times, made three extra points, made a 21-yard field goal. His team won. Back in the locker room afterwards, Coach Dooley gave him the game ball. Imagine how that felt. That was not the Saturday he had planned. But when the call came, he had a choice. He could have said, no, I'm going to spectate. But instead, he heard the invitation to become part of it. And he said, okay. And he went. And now he has a memory that he will treasure forever. Jesus is making the same offer and invitation to you and me. He's saying, Hey. The gospel is my invitation for you to get involved with what I'm doing in the world. Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10 is a story of a guy named Zacchaeus who heard the same invitation. Jesus was passing by. He had some interest. Zacchaeus had some interest in Jesus, and so he wanted to see him, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus trying to see him. He said, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your house. I want to talk to you. I'm inviting you. Scripture says they went to his house that night, and In the middle of the night or in the middle of that evening, Zacchaeus said, I'm in. I'm going to receive your kingdom. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing. I'm going to start doing new stuff. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And nobody was standing around regretting it at that moment. Zacchaeus was going, wow, I've been invited to be part of it. Jesus was going, yeah, this is my joy to invite you to be part of a church. This is what God is seeking to do in your life and mine. Now understand, you have to answer that invitation. Derek could have sat on his dorm room couch all afternoon, watched the game, ate Cheetos, gone on with his life. And he would have never been more than a distant spectator. But when the call came, he said, Okay, let's do this. You and I have the same opportunity. God says, Greg, I'm inviting you into my kingdom. How it means you're going to have to change what you're wearing. It means you to have to show up at certain times and places. It means you're going to have to do stuff a certain way. But I'm inviting you to be part of what I'm doing. What will you say to that invitation, friends? Like I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what that means in some specifics, but, but the real turning point is right here at the beginning. Uh, do you want to enter the kingdom? Do you want to have Jesus lead you? In your life? Do you want to have a Father God guide you in your life? That's the gospel. Maybe this morning you're living a life outside of God's leadership, and maybe you've done that so often and so much that you don't even know where to turn to get back. It's real simple. You just say, Jesus, be my leader, be my king. I want to enter your kingdom. In the moment when you say yes to his invitation, the whole thing begins. The whole thing begins. Derek said yes, now he's got to get dressed. He's got to put on the right shoes, the right helmet, the right number. He's got to get out of the field. But the moment he said yes, it all began. In the same way, God is inviting you to say yes to his kingdom this morning. You know, summer's just around the corner, starting to feel it a little bit. Every summer, the same thing happens. You see it, I see it. Lots of people get all excited about going to the lake or going to the river, and they get there, and they got their swimming suits on, and they're planning to have a blast, and they run down to the edge of the water, and they stop. <laughs> and they go, ah, it looks cold. I know you live in Washington for crying out loud. Yes, it's cold, right? But they stand there at the edge, and I don't know, man, and they get their feet wet. Ah, I don't want to go. And then there's a few folks, though, that are like into the lake, wet all over. And they always stand looking at the ones on the shore. Come on, man, it's a blast. Come on, swim. I don't know. I might get wet. Yes, you can't swim without getting wet. And what do the folks in the water know? The, once you do it, once you step, right, it's no longer a worry. Lots of people are trying to stand at the water's edge with God. Be safe and watch. Never get wet. Never know the joy of the lake. And, you know, some will go back and sit down and become spectators. Sit so on the shore. Oh, yeah, it looks like you're having fun. Yeah, they are. Because they're in. God invites us in. That's what the gospel is it's inviting you to get on stage with Him to enter His kingdom. One last story. We were raising our son. We'd often, every summer, we'd go to the same spot in northern Idaho, the Selway River, and we'd camp for a week. It's our special place. We went there forever, year after year. And um, the same little drama would play out every time we went. (laughs) Isaiah loved that spot by the river. Just absolutely loved it. We'd pull up in our car. The car would hardly even be stopped. He'd be out the door and charging towards the river, sometimes dressed, sometimes not. You know, he just couldn't wait to get in the river. And he'd take a flying leap into it. We're all still getting out of the car, you know. And then he would turn around and do something that, a memory that we treasure to this very day. He'd throw his arms out and he'd go, come on in, the water's fine. Yeah, it is. It is. That's why Jesus says, I bring you good news. with me and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we hear you this morning inviting us to join you in the adventure of living under your Father's leadership. To receive you as our King. Jesus, some of us are hesitating because we don't want to get cold or wet. We're afraid that the trade-off isn't worth it. And you're telling us that the good news is that what you trade is infinitely less valuable than what we receive. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never said yes to God's kingdom. You've been willing to cheer Him. You're comfortable with being a spectator. But if He gives you the invitation to join Him, well, you've just never crossed that line. You can this morning. You can in this moment. Jesus said whenever two or more of us would come together, he'd be in our midst. He's here right now. And you can step over that line by just saying yes to him in your heart. He can hear you. He knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and he invites you to say yes to his call, to his invitation. You do it right now, right in this moment. Lord, we thank you for what your word teaches us about your heart and your invitation to us. God, give us courage get wet so that we can find out what you're offering us. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah,